Listener, we are in for a true treat this morning. We get to talk to Greg Green of the Prodigals, who's celebrating the 25th anniversary of that band, which is just boggling my mind. Greg is a virtuoso musician. He is just like the Jimi Hendrix of the squeeze box. And to see him on a Friday night at Patty Riley's in New York City, small bar, whip the entire bar into a frenzy is just a sight to behold. And by the way, they do pour the perfect pint there at Patty Riley's. So we get to talk to Greg today about his music and his love of food on today's Taste. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Taste. And we have one of my oldest and dearest friends from the Irish American music scene. And that is Mr. Greg Green from the Prodigals. So I have to tell you, it was with mixed emotions that I heard from Greg because the good news was that he was giving me a new Prodigals album, which is the 10th one. But then the troubling news is that he's been at it 25 years. And oh my God, I was at your first gigs, dude. How is this possible? Welcome, Greg Green. How are you? Indeed, it's a very sinister thing to think that one's been around for a quarter of a century. It's a good thing, Mike, that you started writing when you were one and a half and I started playing when I was two. <laughs> yeah, we used to fight over the rattle. It was a nightmare. <laughs> I remember the days well. <laughs> yeah, but you busted out of the crib a little before I did. But anyway, that is just boggles my mind. And, you know, as a longtime fan and friend of the band, I I can't tell you how it warms the heart to see a new Prodigals album, Belturba Town. And I would say that, is it a stretch to say that 25 years of, of being in the band has made you a little reflective? Because I, I really was struck by the reflective mood of the album, uh, yet it's joyous. It's not, it's reflective and joyous, I would say. Is that, was that your intention? Thank you. You know, th these things sort of evolve organically and sometimes one is surprised by that, you know, there's a cohesive kind of totality afterwards. And I, I actually was struck by this myself, actually, after the fact, looking at the album and thinking this is actually it, it's making a, a sort of a coherent statement of a sort that I didn't anticipate. So it's got, you know, this the photograph on the front cover. I'd be interested to know if you were able to identify who was whom in the in the front cover. But there's there's a photo on the on the front cover which is actually of my childhood in Ireland. And in fact, in the original photograph, Mike, there were a pair of chickens on my head and on my twin brother's head in that picture, which is why everybody's looking around and laughing in that picture. But anyway, there's this like this these sort of vintage photos, along with photos, in fact, of us playing with some fairly major concerts over this past year in the Dublin Irish Festival. Uh, which was one of the one of the festivals that boldly went uh, went for the gold, even you know while people were still dealing with pandemic issues. Uh, um, so it, it's it's got this, this you know your 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 feeling of 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 a moment of reflection and celebration is actually right on key, and I'm I'm thrilled. I and I wish I could say it was my concept, but it wasn't. It just it turned out it was the concept after the fact. And these things it, happen, you know, years I was just, ago. Yes, I was just going to say, I was just going to say, isn't that the creative process, though? Because you probably went in there with one vision in mind in terms of what you wanted to do. And then when you're doing it, the vision changes. And then when you actually have it released and you step back and you're like, what was that really about? 
yep. it could be a completely different thing. Was that your experience? I mean, I, I've, I'm a novelist, so that's kind of how it works for me. But I would imagine in almost any creative activity, there's probably that similar cycle. Yeah, I mean, you know, at certain moments in a startling way, uh, years ago when I did an album called Needs Must When the Devil Drives, which you certainly know, and there's a, there's a song on it called Belturba Churchyard, which was you know, written for my father uh, when he passed away and talking about, you know, the, the feeling of uh, love continuing on with my wonderful daughter and, and the feeling of the, the, the transmission, the continuity. And I afterwards, you know, I recorded that, that song and I only realized afterwards that in very large part, the melody of the verse is actually the melody of the parting glass. Again, mm. absolutely not deliberate. And in the same way on this one, you know, part of the genesis of this, the first song on Belturbet Town, in fact, was written for my mum when she was in, in her last year. And in fact, you know, originally it, it was actually written to some extent from her perspective. And then it, it kind of became melded with a sort of universal eye. And so it comes off, you know, sort of, it's, it's sort of a blend of my voice and her, you know, what I was feeling was her perspective at the time. But the first track is called Bell Turbot Town and it's about um, remembering these ghosts, beautiful ghosts, loved ghosts that sing on the wind as they pass you by. And it was very much about my mum, but it's a, it is absolutely, it's about this, I guess one might say nostalgic, except nostalgic sounds sort of a little embalmed. And it's not exactly embalmed. It's about how stuff is not embalmed. It's about how it's kind of still alive uh, uh, and, and constantly there. So anyway, this album as a whole has, has got elements of that and it's got elements of that throughout. Um, there's, there's a photograph on the inside of the album where it's got a picture of my accordion player. The guy, he's the reason why I play accordion. Uh, this guy called, wonderful uh, man by the name of Sean Donahue. Who, who invited me into the world of the accordion by playing the accordion on our harvest parties on the stairs in our house. There's a, um, there's a song on it called The Ballad of Matty Farrell, which is actually, literally, it's actually a true story that was told to me by a neighbour. The name has been changed because um, this neighbour actually still has living relatives and I wasn't sure if they would think it was a story they wanted to, to have attributed, as it were. Even though it's not, there's nothing disgraceful about it, but it's it's a funny moment. Yeah, and I mean, let's go back to Beltarba Town, the, the title track. You know, there's a lyric here where the ghosts on the wind whisper and sigh. They sing of the past as they pass you by. There's mist on the moon and the rain sitting down on the streets of the city and Beltarba Town. I mean, just such beautiful lyrics. I mean, we could really just go on and on and go to town on just the lyrics alone. And I just... Hats off to you. I think it's just very, I guess it's, it. what struck me is for, from this perspective was I have been following you for 25 years prior to even being a columnist, maybe. And this music has grown up with me. That's, that's, that's a beautiful thing to say. Thank you so much. Uh, um, you know, one of the things that happens with writing, and I'm sure, Mike, you find this too, there are times when you really kind of work at it and you try and make it right. And that tends to be not, that tends to be not the moments you're actually as happy with afterwards. And the other ones just come into your head. That, that chorus literally popped into my head. I was 
standing outside on the street in Manhattan, watching the rain sift down opposite, with looking at the, the, the weird glow of the Empire State Building behind it, and thinking about my mum, uh, um, who was, was, was up in the Bronx, and I was actually going to be going up and seeing her, but I, it's sort of imagining her thoughts watching this rain, my thoughts watching this rain, uh, and the continuity of that with the rain, of course, and Belturbet growing up. It's this idea of this bridging quality, um, but it's so nice you say that those kind words about, about the lyrics. I, I, again, like the lyrics coming in and tapping one on the, on the shoulder in this nice way is something that, that you know, used to happen uh, often in the most sort of unlikely places when one's on the road and one's disconnected from one's actual surroundings because you're in a hotel room and you wake up at two or three in the morning with either tune or lyrics running through your head and you have to write them down so you can go back to sleep. And then, of course, as soon as you do that, then another one pops into your head, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. And it's always great at a Prodigals concert because you're going to get those those airs that kind of pull at your heartstrings a little bit or you might get a lump on your throat and then, boom, you're going to just do the, on the branch, there was a frog in the tree in the brog. <laughs> <laughs> just, yes, and you're you. like you kick like a mule and then you come back and and you know the instrumentals are always obviously you're for anybody that hasn't seen the prodigals i guess as the music reviewer in me it's it's my job to kind of describe it it's it's really just taking very traditional music melodies and even the instruments uh, in the accordion and then putting those into very you know new york kinds of sounds so you'll get bongos you'll get um, even just the funky backbeat, or you'll even get a sped up jig punk beat. And I think that's always been the, the chemistry of what makes the Prodigals, you know, very, very unique and, um, and such a big hit in some of the Irish festivals here. I, I can speak for myself that I was not actually a fan of traditional music. I wasn't a fan of any Irish music in my culture. And it was because the Pogues, the Black 47, yourselves, would really take uh, those melodies and mix them with other beats and things I understood so that you could feed the culture back to me. I think that was, that's really been the thing that I'm, not only makes people like me a fan, but there's almost a gratitude there that you were able to almost interpret my culture to me in a way that I could understand it and then go back to Sean Knows Singers and really appreciate them. That's just lovely, Mike. I mean, you know, how, for me, how big how big is your head by now? Is no, it, it's, is it's it pretty lovely. big. And, and I, it... I, you're saying lovely and beautiful things. You know, it, it, it's you're also though tapping into kind of like what the what the ingredients are in the pot in a very nice way. And the the thing of it was that I grew up with really only listening to the traditional and folk music, and New York being New York, it, it, there's the New York thing that happens where I ended up playing the trad music in New York and it not translating to crowds at the time, which it, it hit at a time way back when, when there was river dance and all of these things were popping. At the same time, there were audiences who were, you know, very nicely enthusiastic about getting into the music, but they didn't have the conduit. At that time, Brian Tracy on drums and Andrew Harkin on bass, where suddenly they, they, they had the, the handholds on the rock and I realized it was kind of an alchemy that actually happened there, which I, I felt in a way, you know, kind of created this, this synthesis where, where the, the whole in some way 
was more than just the sum of the parts. It wasn't just sticking in something that, that was, you know, a little dichotomous. It was actually, it actually kind of created something that I, I thought was really exciting and it continues to this day. The drum we're using right now is Eamon Ellams, who actually also, again, there's a tremendous amount of continuity in the band. Um, Eamon has been playing with the band for probably 15 years. Um, and Brian Tracy still plays periodically as well. We, we, you know, depending on people's availability, we're all in really tight touch. And I noticed you were, you were going to crash a gig at Colm O'Brien um, up in Boston. So yeah, and that, that's just been, that's always been an amazing thing about the Prodigals as well is that uh, it's one of those things where you can, you can quit, but you can never leave. Exactly. In fact, <laughs> In fact, it was lovely. It was actually the other way around. He very delightedly didn't crash. He was warmly, uh, extremely warmly invited into that. I was thrilled to have him aboard. And he, what he brought to it was just simply fantastic and was so fun. And, and one of the things that was really crazy and fun about it was we did songs we had never done together for the first time up there because I had kept track of what he was doing and he kept track of what I was doing. And there's, there's a degree in which one gets in sync with somebody when you're playing with them on the road and at home on a regular basis. It's sort of like family, you know, finishing their sentences for one another. And we'll be right back. Taste is sponsored by the good folks at Love Letters Profiles. Our personal consultation takes the heaviness and significance out of the dating profile writing process. We'll help you write a funny, flirty, straight-to-the-point dating profile that will attract the attention you want and discourage the attention you don't want. Studies show humor is among the most attractive qualities people look for in a mate. And we believe tickling the funny bone is the first step in establishing chemistry. We make the writing process fun, and we won't quit until you're 100% satisfied. Check us out on loveletterspropiles.com or at Love Letters Profiles on Facebook or Instagram. And we're back with Greg Green of The Prodigals celebrating their 25 years with the fantastic album Bell Turbot Town. Tell me a little bit more about what it's like for you as a musician, because I think this might be, is it six years or eight years since you've put out an album? Since the time that you last put this out, it is such a different world musically, right? In terms of, you sent me a CD as an example, and I had a, actually, the only CD I have left is in my car, so I would only have to listen to this when I was in a car because there was no other CD. So I would imagine the technology's changed, the way people consume music's changed. So as you're putting out an album, what goes into your mind in terms of, okay, this is a brand new marketplace. How do I get the music out? How, what's that like for you? I mean, you know, there, there's an unfortunate degree in which a gritty reality enters here, which is one of the reasons why it takes a while to release an album these days is it is a leap of absolute faith because the truth is the odds of even seeing your money back on it, much less making money, are so tenuous. I mean, when we were starting out, you would literally earn back, you know, in within three months you were in the black. And from then it was all absolutely pure profit. Um, uh, but, w w you know, what's happened with the market since then, of course, is that the, you know, the, the advent, more than anything, of um, of MP3s and and all of those other ancillary things like you know uh, 
Spotify, etc., means that even you know the biggest artists and some of them major artists who've been on your show, just you know, the, one of them I'm going to leave anonymous just because, um, just because I, you know, if that person wants to tell that their story, they'll tell it. But I remember this artist who's an extremely well-known artist showing me their check and saying, look at this, it's for, it was for something risible like $5.13. And it represent, represented something like 250,000 plays. I mean, it's just, there is no mechanism right now that's replaced the CDs. So we're all kind of, it's all guesswork at this point. Um, so, I mean, releasing an album at this point is as much a gesture of love you know, and belief as it is any kind of an economic venture. It, it effectively is barely an economic venture at this point. Yeah. And it's also something I would imagine as a creative, I mean, this is what you do. You know, yep. I, 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 I tell people all the time, uh, I used to think novel writing made no money until I started write plays. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and then I, then I used to think playwriting was the least amount of money you could make and until I started making films. And then, yes. you know, it's like now you're so far into the, the black or, or the, you know, the, into debt. But and that's and it really is a creative. It almost it's galvanizing in a way because it's like, well, how do I make my money back from this or how do I at least break even? I don't think any of us are in this to yep. retire, but it's just how do I at least just break even? And the pressure definitely comes on. So um, I mean, so. The the truth is, I mean, really almost more the payback, and, and, and this is not just in the Irish scene, but this is actually broadly, and even in the, you know, the most popular forms of music, in general, in a sort of peculiar way, it's been this reversal where it's back to live gigs. Um, yeah. You know, so, you know, we're thrilled. We're going to be playing in Montana this summer. We're going to be playing in Detroit this summer. But like those are the gigs that are kind of paying for the albums instead of the other way around. I mean, it used to be you'd sell the albums and, the you know, you wouldn't have to worry about the gigs because, you know, you were making so much on the albums. But that's not the way it is anymore. Well, I have to I have to toddle over to the website and just uh, get myself a new concert T-shirt because it's been a while and I've I might have gained a few pounds. So that's now a belly shirt and uh, that's not a good look for me. So uh, you can count on a, on a Prodigal's T-shirt sale very, very soon if you have XL. That sounds magnificent. So tell me, when you're in Belturbet Town, and then when you're in your adopted hometown in New York, where does Greg Green like to go for a feed or a pint? Or, and, and then maybe who's, uh, who are the best cooks that you, uh, you have on uh, either side of the Atlantic that you stash away on, your, on the road? Well, the, the best cook, I, I, I will say totally vulgarly, is moi-même. I am I am a very passionate foodie and I love cooking. So I, I the food in terms of the cooking, I, I am very confident about it. And, and you know whether it's something as straightforward as boiled bacon, which I I had of course for Paddy's day, to um, all the way up to to uh, you know my own delicious favorites like you know venison or lamb or any of the rabbit, any of those somewhat slightly more game like things. But in terms of the pint. I tell you something is that Paddy Riley's music bar, and this is not a plug. This sounds like it's 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 a bright. It, it plug. sounds like it, it sounds like it is because you do you do play there most Friday nights. Go ahead. It's been my local for the last twenty five years. Our residency, but the quality of the pints these days is unbelievable. Uh, they have a Donegal bartender 
by the name of Desi Murray, and he's now um, passed on his knowledge to the other lad that's serving there, who's another lovely lad called Nick. And they pour, I will absolutely vouch for this, they're the pouring the best pints of Guinness in the tri-state area. Unbelievable, really perfect. And of course, because it's so good, it's this wonderful sort of self-continuing cycle, which goes in the reverse direction as well. But they're so good that people keep ordering and then they, they're ultra fresh, so they keep on ordering more. And of course, the opposite is, is the other terrible extreme. There's another bar that I, I know very well who will also remain nameless, but the opposite has happened there, where it's an Irish pub who, which pours, I would say, easily the worst pints in the tri-state area. So. It, it is. It is. It's you know, it is a definitely an art and a science for sure. So all right, so let's dig into your foodie past then. So you're a foodie. I am. Let me ask you a. Uh, it's date night, and you're there to impress a lady with uh, an Irish dish or maybe a non-Irish dish. What is on the menu if Greg Green is cooking? Well, it depends how much I'm being self-serving and revelatory versus trying to be on my good behavior. Because maybe I would do some sort of like, you know, vegetarian dish to show that I'm sensitive. But if I'm really cooking for my own taste, I will do what I would do is the dream meal if I had access to it. And of course, it's always dependent on having access to some of these ingredients would actually probably be either rabbit or venison. And if it was rabbit, I would do it in a in a stew with mushrooms and and uh, tarragon and white wine. And if it was a uh, loin of venison, I would do it very delicately, tenderly, medium rare with a with a, um, a balsamic vinegar kind of a, a reduction around it. My, and who my would... mouth is watering as I speak. <laughs> I can tell. You, you might want to take a sip of water. I can, <laughs> I can tell the gurgling there. So <laughs> tell me about where did that love of food come from and who taught you to appreciate food? This is one of these, see, this is the type of serendipity I was talking about before. My mother, my mother, about whom that first town, Beltrabbit Town, is about. And it's absolutely related to where we were on the farm there because my mother was a doctor in Chicago, but when we were on the farm, she she had abundant energy and she poured it into a couple of things. One was working with the local uh, horse show and riding horses and, and, and farming passionately and energetically, but she also poured it into cooking. So I had the treat of growing up with extraordinarily, lovingly prepared, elaborate meals, uh, um, pour, you know, prepared with local ingredients. And I mean, every, serious i mean even all sort of levity aside i mean any serious chef will tell you these this is the way you grow to love food is local locally sourced ingredients and family passion and it it's just it's it has left me with a lasting love of food and i think a lasting love of life as well because of it i i, I sort of feel like food again like in one end it's it's t totally the stuff of fun but it's also in the deepest way it's your first introduction to everything that is physical and tangible about life and i think the way that people feel about food is very very reflective of how they feel about life as a whole mm -hmm. that's really great well we've talked about your um the loss of your mom and how that's really influenced that and i think for anybody that's not familiar with greg green you need to know that his uh, twin brother andrew who um, tragically perished uh, doing the Lord's work in Haiti uh, many years ago, about at least 10 years ago now, that you have honored him so unbelievably with your charity that funds the education of Haitians on the ground, and you're very, very hands-on. So uh, tell us about that, and for those of 
listeners that are might be new to you and how they can get involved in this worthwhile cause. I, I'd love to. And by the way, I, this 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 may sound like the, these are this is sort of a, a a sequence of dark albums, but they're not exactly. But but needs must when the devil drives actually. Well, let me was, interrupt was, you. Was, let, let, let me interrupt you for a second. As a, as a somebody that's watched you perform plenty of times, no matter how mournful the little air that you would play, you always have the biggest smile on your face. And it's such a joyous occasion that you're just, you're oozing joy when you're up there playing. And even if it is maybe a, a mournful subject, your emotion is always joy. And that's what I've always loved about seeing you. So for anybody else that hasn't seen him, I will tell you whether it's a, 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 a stomp or it's a mournful air, this, this gentleman is pure joy on stage for sure. Thank you so much, Mike. I mean, I, what I was going to say was that there's, there's three albums. Needs Must was, was very soon after my father passed away, but also my daughter was born. And it, it's very much about that continuity. The, one, the most recent album before this one um, was called Brothers. And that was very, very specifically also remembering Andrew, uh, uh, my twin brother who, who had been lost in Haiti. Uh, and there's, this, there's one song in particular in that, in that album. But, but again, the ethos of the album as a whole definitely remembers that. And this one, again, remembers my mum. But in each of the cases, it's remembering, you know, the, the loss is the parting. But what you're remembering is the love that made that parting as significant as it was. And each of the, those loves are such a gift. And so the love, I think, and I hope, and I believe, actually, the love and the joy that they've given to one is what comes through. So back, back to the foundation, um, it is andrewgreen.org, and that's spelled A-N-D-R-E-W, and the last name is G-R-E-N-E. It's a weird spelling. It's a, it's a spelling that before they standardized spellings uh, in the 800s. That's why it's spelled so strangely. It's G-R-E-N-E. So it's andrewgreen.org. Uh, um, and, and you can see what we do there. But we, we built a school in my twin brother's memory uh, in Haiti, and we also do microfinance there. And really, as much as it is a way of remembering Andrew, I always feel passionate. It's also Andrew's gift to me in that it kind of enabled me to sort of channel feelings that are so difficult otherwise uh, in, into something that becomes a kind of you know, beautiful way of remembering this extraordinary soul that has passed. That's so amazing. And I only got to meet the gentleman once, but I can tell you that uh, speaking about a face full of joy, I remember it was down at the uh, Garden State Art Center. I think it was called the PNC Bank Art Center now in uh, Homedale. There was a massive Irish festival there. And I just remember you were playing on the stage and I was next to your brother and he just had this look of pride and joy on his face that I will never forget. You know, it was just such a like, oh, my God, I can't believe he's up there, you know, and, and he was just tickled by the whole thing. So so um, beautiful I, and so absolutely true. And I can actually see it when you talk about it. He had, yeah, my just, father used to call a froggy grin. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to call it a I was going to call it a goofy grin, yes, but yes. froggy is even better. I like that. So so that's great that we can get a hold of uh, the Andrew Green Foundation from what you just said. And how do we get a hold of the prodigals? So uh, 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 the Prodigals, if you go to prodigals.com, it's there. We're on Facebook. 
these days Facebook seems to be a, you know a primary means of communication I know that I'm supposed to be much more promoting Instagram I've actually started dabbling in Instagram because I'm told to so many times but I I'm <laughs> I'm still I'm still a Facebook Luddite uh, um, but any of those any of the above are great and and you know we're, we we sort of as a every Friday night at Paddy Riley's for the past 25 years would love to see you come down and we play from 10:30 p.m. until 2 a.m. On, on Saturday morning. So it's 10.30 p.m. on Friday night to 2 a.m. in the morning on, on Saturday. And um, it's just, it's an amazing uh, sort of stream of continuity and joy there. And then we're also touring in the, I say in the summer to, to Montana and to Detroit and elsewhere. And, and we, we do pop out on the road. Well, I will definitely see you when you pop out on the road. And Greg, it was just great hearing your voice. Great being with you. Congratulations on the new album. And I wish you all the best of luck with it. Mike, thank you a million. Just such a pleasure to hear you. Thank you so much. Great. Taste has been produced by Brain on Shamrocks Productions through an exclusive partnership with irishcentral.com. It's been mixed and engineered by Barbara Farraher, the smiling voice, and my wife. I love you, honey. You can follow us on Instagram at Taste Podcast, and that's T-A-Y-S-H-T podcast or at Brain on Shamrocks. We'll see you next week.